0: Welcome back to the Joshua Shaw audio experience. Firstly, thank you for giving me a bit of your attention. I'm honored you trusted me with it, and I promise to return the favor by giving you a ton of edutainment value back. In my newest podcast episode, I'll break down why three separate FDA warning letters sent to Amazon last year has the possibility to create a ton of chaos within every part of the supplement industry. But before we get started, I would love if you took 46 seconds out of your day to leave a rating or review whichever podcasting platform you're currently listening to. This helps me out immensely in terms of extending the reach of my podcast, but more importantly allows me to make improvements based on your feedback. Thank you again, and now enjoy my newest podcast episode. Mob Wife Aesthetic might be trending again because of the 25th anniversary of the HBO hit drama series, The Sopranos. Yet, having grown up in the city that fell in love with the mob, I could spot a Youngstown tune-up from a mile away. But and the supplement industry. I promise that cryptic introduction will make a lot more sense soon, but let me first explain the inspiration for this content piece. From August 18th to December 20th of 2023, the FDA sent three separate warning letters to Amazon. Additionally, the leading online marketplace was named in five other warning letters last year that were aimed at companies selling unapproved and or mislabeled drugs on Amazon. For those that might not be super familiar with what an FDA warning letter is, they are sent to companies when there is an indication that a serious violation of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act has occurred. These include a detailed explanation of the specific violation and requires the company receiving the FDA warning letter to respond within 15 days explaining the corrective action that will be taken. If a company does not respond within 15 days, FDA may exercise other enforcement authorities. Okay, so enough with the regulatory mumbo jumbo, but I did want to provide some helpful context early on in this content. Compared to the public, I'm a subject matter Yogi Bear. But why does he have a skate tied on the top of his head? Because I'm smarter than the average bear, yeah. But I'm not going to rattle off this or that 21 CFR Part 111 to sound impressive as I'm secure enough to state I'm also not an expert relative to a select group of my supplement industry peers, one of which you'll hear from later in this content. But that being said, I am very astute in spotting car bombs that haven't detonated yet and could potentially create a lot of business chaos when or if it does ignite. In fact, I mentioned it publicly in September of 2020. Some of these omni-channel retailers like Amazon and Walmart, what happens when they require your supplement brand to have a third-party supplement certification to be listed on their marketplace? See, what I noticed starting in the mid-2010s was a collection of legacy supplement industry stakeholders growing continually more frantic about changing power dynamics. In fact, fear was quickly building that any semblance of yesteryear's much tighter gate kept supplement industry ecosystem would soon be extinct. So what do you do if you are a cash cow generating legacy supplement industry player losing your gatekeeping powers? You utilize those massive internal resources or better yet you band together in trade groups to put leverage on who you believe ruined the good old days. The who is Amazon. And that one word has created such a visceral reaction amongst much of the legacy supplement industry ecosystem. Depending on the person's perspective you're asking, you'll get a slightly different answer for why they blame Amazon for the demise of the supplement industry, or should I say the previous version of the supplement industry that they are nostalgic about. According to Spins and clear-cut Analytics data, Amazon continues to expand its market leadership as the number one retailer of supplements ahead of even physical retail chains like Walmart. In the last year, Amazon has generated about $13 billion in categorical sales, up around 15% year-over-year. But in terms of how these legacy supplement industry stakeholders are deploying those massive internal resources against Amazon, I'm going to stay like tactically vague here. But there's both a back-channel side that most don't see and then there's a public-facing PR strategy. Regardless, it all rolls up into these previous gatekeepers calling on Amazon to rein in supplement industry bad actors by suggesting the online marketplace implement more and more compliance hurdles. This effort was arguably successful twice in 2021, first when Amazon updated its requirements for listing dietary and sports supplement products on the platform, And then that december amazon added more testing requirements for those selling in the weight loss and sexual enhancement supplement categories but that doesn't appear to be enough because if it was we wouldn't have seen an uptick of public facing pressure towards amazon by these legacy supplement industry stakeholders and even If Amazon hasn't responded yet, it might have done one better by indirectly getting the FDA's attention, hence the three warning letters in 2023. And before I say anything else, I probably need to preface everything next by saying that I'm not here to question anybody's integrity. In fact, I truly believe the actions of these legacy supplement industry stakeholders are because they care about helping the biggest resistance to the continual growth of the supplement industry, consumer trust. But Just like me not creating content on every interesting tidbit of supplement industry news or lawyers not targeting every company in a class action lawsuit or maybe even the FDA or the FTC not catching all of the industry wrongdoing, we are all dealing with a finite number of resources. That might be time or money or whatever, but solving it usually then comes down to prioritization, where I might cherry pick content ideas based on what's most interesting to me Lawyers might see a headline of a company doing well and look for flaws to attack it. Or maybe it's a regulatory agency that could see trustworthy legacy supplement industry stakeholders loudly disseminating what I'd like to call compliance marketing that connects wrongdoing to the largest categorical retailer. But maybe this is a great time to transition into the portion of this content that I was referring to earlier to help add some depth. To the compliance side and balance my business perspective, I asked my good buddy Brian Yam, who has two decades of regulatory affairs and quality assurance experience across every side of the supplement industry, to join me. In our conversation, we deeply examine topics such as why the FDA is placing pressure on Amazon, if this could eventually lead to a market-bending precedent across today's retail models, why the FDA might be more effective placing proxy enforcement pressure somewhere else. Plus we go wide talking about the under the radar, short and long-term possible implications to all supplement industry stakeholders. In your opinion, because I have my own opinion, we're going to kind of talk about this, but like from your side of it or your perspective, why do you think the FDA is placing pressure on Amazon?
1: Yeah. Great question, Josh. You know, um, you know, if we look at the, the course of, you know, 2023, Amazon was hit with three FDA warning letters. You know, one was for having, um, ED drugs, you know, from Cialis and Viagra, those pharmaceutical actives in their products. One was another one was for pink eye remedies. So that's like a drug, a disease claim. And then there's another one for a molluscum contagiosum, which is also a drug and disease claim. And so got three warning letters, and you know, when you have a warning letter, it might not seem like a big deal considering the size of Amazon, but the reality is now they're driving a lot of resources to address these warning letters. They're pulling people from other uh, departments, uh, more documentation, getting the lawyers involved. But the big thing here is that you've got uh, lawsuits that happen as a result of those warning letters. A lawyer, they see the dollar signs from, of an Amazon, they see the warning letter, which shows that they did something a uh, fault, and they're going to go after them. And so now you've got uh, lawyers going after uh, the Amazon, they're trying to defend that it. It just becomes a huge distraction. So like, that's the backdrop of it all. And obviously, Amazon is hoping to get away from that. So there's that piece. The other component to it, I think is you've got FDA, they're limited in resources, they're limited in budget and people and bandwidth and and there's a part of me that feels dare I say it that you know the the office of dietary supplement as important as they are, they don't have that political pull, right? not like the tech sector or like you know big pharma, for example, and so it loses that it factor it just doesn't have that same political pull and so what happens well fDA can't go after all these brands, right? all the entrants are going to Amazon every single day, the new entrants every day, the sheer number that of of sellers that have been grandfathered in. There's just so much, you go after one brand, you know, FDA go, goes after one brand, there's gonna be another brand that pops up with the same claim and so on. What I think is happening is that you've got this um, trickle down compliance approach. So essentially FDA is saying like, well, let's go after the Amazon and if we give them enough of a hard time and they get sick of all the distractions. Well, maybe they'll impose additional requirements across their brands, perhaps delisting brands, removing sellers um and maybe imposing new standards for this year and possibly next year and you know yes you know amazon is doing some basic um entrant requirements you know having a gmp certification and having your CFA, but it's relatively peanuts in the grand scheme of things um, but yeah I think Fda is going after uh, the this distributor if you will um, whereas I'm sure Amazon's probably thinking themselves like hey we're just a platform you know we're not we're not a supplement retailer we're just a platform selling a whole bunch of stuff uh, they
0: probably don't necessarily agree with it but the reality is is that Fda is going after them yeah I definitely agree with the number of your points I mean I think that obviously there's a there's been a massive amount of industry growth both from you know the dollars, um, but also just proliferation of brands. There's just so many of them. Um, and then when you are kind of chronically underfunded from the FDA's perspective as a whole, you arguably have the lack of, of, of enforcement uh, resources or just the inability to enforce at the level that would be appropriate, I guess, to this new industry growth. Um, and also just I guess the overall household penetration of like supplements, like the, how many people are taking supplements and how, maybe how important that is. I know that that gets like understated sometimes because I think 90 plus percent or so of, um, American adults, I think take some type of vitamin mineral supplement and that creates a ton of, um, you know, interest for our need to keep you know high quality and trust within the consumer market. And, you know, I love that the mass media, um, only, you know, picks out or piggybacks on the really bad stories never never talk about the millions of people that probably have had better health because of supplements or anything that's probably not a great storyline for them but um you know another point where you, you kind of made it was like amazon is the you know the 800 pound gorilla for all retail but also specifically supplements it, i think it's somewhere around a 13 billion dollar um, category for amazon on the platform um, so they are the top retailer for all of the vms category so because of that, you know, I feel like the FDA really, if they're going to make a point or, or really kind of pick out or, or put, put somebody on a pedestal to kind of attack, it's like you go after the biggest person because then you assume they could be your, you know, quote unquote, enforcement proxy to kind of help you because they're naturally going to, like you said, they're going to react. They're going to go, okay, we don't want this pressure. This is not worth it to us um, because I think it's important maybe for people to remember, like. Though I just said $13 billion on Amazon, it's still not you know, that big of a deal in the, in the grand scheme of things for like Amazon when you're talking about yeah. like $700 billion worth of like GMV uh, a year. Like it's, it's a small piece of it. So like, okay, is the juice worth the squeeze at the end of the day for Amazon? Like they're gonna be like, okay, well, like we're gonna just maybe go a little bit uh, extra safe so we don't have to deal with this problem uh, if we wanna continue to to do this. Um, one question I did kind of think about because I, you know, I get why the FDA is doing this from an enforcement proxy standpoint. Like, you know, it makes sense for somebody else to do their dirty work for them, I guess. But, um, I also think like maybe a better pressure point is like contract manufacturers for, for the FDA, because like, literally they are the link between, you know, the, raw ingredient suppliers and the finished goods so like they should know you know if there is something um from a contamination standpoint, but also like they should be reviewing you know what those labels are and and, and if there are some issues like they are arguably the link between where things could be cleaned up much quicker at least in my mind but i'm sure there's also like considerations that need to be thought of in that way too
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And the contract manufacturers, I mean, FDA is trying, as we all know, they do inspect the the manufacturers and we're seeing the same most basic elements that are missing from the ones that they're finding. There are a lot of good manufacturers. Here's my take. I think there's a part where when we speak to GMP compliance, a lot of manufacturers meet that requirement, right? The the way that the, the requirements are written, they meet it and so they and they get nsf certification or ul certification get the gmp certification that they need but there's an there's a there's a gap there between what does the brand need to do and how can the manufacturers support them Um, and so for example um, the manufacturer will just test based on their own gmp program now the way you know gm what is gmp there's a spectrum Right? Some are much better than others. Not all of them do potency testing or strength testing. Not all of them do heavy metal testing. But to the layperson, we kind of imagine or assume that the manufacturers are doing that. Um, so for them to not do that type of testing or to not do the, the ED drug testing, that's within the realm of acceptance from an FDA standpoint. So I think, you know, but then, but with regards to the brand owner, we assume that they're doing it and sometimes they're not doing it. It's not built into those costs. And I agree with you. You would think that the manufacturers should be put, putting more responsibility and looking at the labels and the claims. And many of them are, uh, but there's just so many that don't because it's still within the acceptance criteria, which is crazy. And I think there's definitely a gap there. And and I think uh, the next logical question is, you know, is product registration? You know, is that the next step? Is that the natural uh, progression of things? Is there's someone else going to be looking over their shoulders? I will say that some manufacturers realize what their strengths are. Some are saying to the clients, "We are good at making the product to your spec. You just tell us what you want, and we'll make it, and we'll do it to GMP standards. Um, but if you want, you know, additional testing, if you want us to do label review, we're not good at that stuff. You need to tell us what to do. So we're seeing that too, at least." the manufacturers own up to that and then let the brand owners know and the brand owners then go to an outside third party or a consultant to help them with that. But yeah, I do agree with you. Hopefully FDA can go after these contract manufacturers. I I do think there are a lot thousands of manufacturers again, back to limited resources. Um, But yeah, I think it would help. I I don't know. I just feel like FDA has got so few uh, people to, to actually do this, uh, to do this work.
0: I'm also thinking about, you made a, you made a comment around, you know, as Amazon, you know, like how do they think of themselves as like, you know, are they, you know, a distributor? Are they a retailer? Are they just this platform? Are they whatever? And then I also think about how that definition is, it's interesting, or how do you apply that definition? Because even if you think about it as like Walmart, Walmart, you know, also has, tons of distribution, um, also has its own, you know, kind of e-commerce platform marketplace. Um, you have almost every retailer at this point, we're talking large retailers have some kind of similarity to that of like, they act as, you know, a retailer, they act as some type of distributor, um, partner, also some type of like, you know, platform marketplace type of environment. But I think the difference maybe with Amazon is that most of their sales, I think over 50 something percent comes from third party vendors. So like, it's not a wholesale type of a, a, you know, relationship. They're not buying it and then making money on the spread. They're making money on their distribution assets or whatever. Like, and then, uh, you know, if we talk about Walmart, we talk about, you know, just say CVS, or you talk about any of these ones, like they are, they are all mostly getting their revenue from wholesale. So there's arguably, I guess maybe a higher degree of control there because like maybe they have their own things that you have to pass you know you you have to have xyz maybe from compliance maybe it's just ingredients that they don't allow or or they would like you to have certain you know testing requirements or not not to say again that amazon doesn't have their own kind of requirements as well but i do think there's with that wholesale side of it maybe there's a higher level of degree but I guess my question, or at least where I struggle is, is like, how does these retailers or distributors, like, how do they honestly verify the legitimacy of products without having their own, like in-house testing or, or having some, you know, agreement where like, you have to work with a third party certification company to be listed or sold or whatever. And then that in itself, and I'm sure we'll talk about it. Like what, what the, what would that ultimately trigger? But like, To me i'm like this seems very messy to like ask somebody like amazon or any retailer to like all of a sudden have all these kind of real big barriers to entry Mm. yeah no it's a good point so let's look at these retailers so
1: what are some of these retailers doing the the natural progression has been that they actually are implementing a lot more requirements a lot more scrutiny and they're being actually more hands-on with the onboarding process so if we look at you talked about the testing and how do they look at the ingredients or do they uh, if we look at cvs and i know cvs is very very different from an amazon they have the tested to be trusted program so essentially you do have to reveal your formula you do have to send them your batch records your, your manufacturing batch documents To them in certain cases, they'll look at your stability data. They'll look at, they'll actually test your product. They'll grab random samples off the shelf or order product from your website and test that product for not just what your manufacturer is testing for, but in addition to that, other contaminants or other strength testing, et cetera and that's part of the retailer onboarding process so they are implementing that but that's CVS um, you've got uh, other groups the walmart's the costco's of the world the targets and some of them don't they they do have you sign the dot online but i think there's an underlying you know threat if you will but not really where you've you know this is your shot you being the the brand owner this is your shot to get into a large retailer and they they throw this contract to you with their lawyers and it's got all this compliance jargon on there. And I think there's a part of that hesitation of, okay, this is my one shot. I got to get this right. I want to do this right. Like I want to do it now, you know, properly with regards to compliance. I think there's that element to it. And, you know, it's it's interesting. We'll we'll see what happens with, with Amazon, whether they are going to actually take that type of uh, activity. I think that they will add more to the requirements. Um, but what that is remains to be seen.
0: Yeah. And I want to, I guess, make this point because we're, we're talking about maybe Amazon and maybe not the most, um, positive manner. Um, and maybe somebody is, has not watched a ton of my content. Maybe this is the first time they've seen it. And they're like, well, is this guy an Amazon hater or something? Um, if you do the, if you do the (laughs) kind of the breadcrumbs, you'll know that I'm a huge uh, lover of of Amazon um, from a ton of different aspects, I have been somebody that 's been you know involved with the platform in the supplement industry for 13, 14 years at this point like i i 'm such a big proponent of it um, but i 'm also necessarily understanding and what I want to kind of talk about is more of like the implications to the supplement industry like there's this is important like this is something that could create big swings, both short term and long term based on the response, not only from Amazon, but also from how, you know, the biggest retailer of supplements um, decides to um, move forward will then create influence across other retailers. Like you said, if it's maybe it's Walmart, maybe it's Target, Costco, like everybody starts to look at it and go, okay, well, they're, they've they upped their, their kind of hurdle rate. Let's jump our hurdle rate. So we're, we're on par with them or whatever that is. So. I think about, you know, first in the short term, I think if there is an increased amount of categorical compliance requirements on Amazon, one, I think that cuts down on the proliferation of supplement brands very quickly um, because a lot of them will not be able to meet those standards because of either extra financial burden, um, or it's just, you know, they're just not doing things appropriately. It just doesn't, you know, they're just not going to meet those, those standards. Um, but then I also think about, I guess, the, the bullwhip effect of like this extra compliance costs, you know, because if Amazon's going to ask for all these different things to the contract manufacturer, to the, you know, the down to the ingredient suppliers, down to wherever, all of those extra bits of compliance add up to you know costs and each one gets passed on a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and eventually gets to the consumer and all of a sudden supplements become maybe a lot more expensive because of all this kind of bullwhip that seems to be happening and maybe that creates a little bit less of the ability for some people to take supplements or, or whatever and again looking at this from all different different angles but um it, it it it'll be interesting to see how that at least in the short term how that kind of plays out because i do think that if that goes in that direction that's a natural kind of reaction
1: yeah that's a, that's a good point and we see this in other you know countries as well where they're imposing new regulation i know with the us fda they're thinking about product registration and that's the same dialogue like how does this what does this do from a you know competitive standpoint the ability for me to buy more supplements or my my other favorite brand of supplements, you know, the cost tied to that. Um, no, I, I agree with it. But you know, what's interesting is that you know, with with regards to a lot of this extra requirements, you know, we're seeing Amazon actually doing a lot of this already without the asking of information, asking of test results per se. I mean, there are some requirements for sexual health products and weight loss products for the Amazon space but we're seeing the ai algorithm if you will or some other mechanism within the uh, amazon architecture they're actually screening certain keywords and just automatically delisting these products and and what's interesting you you talked about like well, what is amazon are they you know is it just a platform uh you know is it more of like a cvs type thing are they even like are they more of a tech company like that's that's a that's another question and my feeling has been, or what we've been seeing with clients, is that yeah, they're more of a tech company. It's hard to get a hold of anybody when they do delist you, right, for this targeted keyword. So some, some, there's some sort of machine that's going into the system, picking out a brand, pick for the keyword, delisting them. You can't get a hold of anyone. If you do get a hold of somebody, um, they're, they're more of a tech agent rather than someone that understands the supplement world, that understands a little bit of the compliance side, to be able to speak to why your product was delisted. And it's, it's, a, it's a frustrating frustrating situation. And we've seen some brands, uh, not clients that I've worked with, but just as we monitor the, the, the system, some brands have been doing great sales, you know, $250,000 a month in sales, let's just say. All of a sudden, delisted. They don't know what's going on. They come back three months, four months later, and their label is completely blank. Like it literally just has the product name, mm-hmm. the words dietary supplement and 60 capsules on the front panel of the label, all the the marketing claims, everything was removed. Now I've seen some of the older labels. Sometimes they are compliant. I think they just were wrapped up in this algorithm activity, if you will. And it just removed, and I think there's something to be said about that. I don't necessarily like that. I feel like there should be some sort of intermediate <laughs> mechanism to kind of explain what's going on, why why it was delisted. You know, I'm not saying that Amazon has to do what CVS is doing or what Costco is doing with regards to their compliance program, their compliance team. They don't have to go that far. But then you have this other extreme, which is just like automatic delisting without a good explanation as to why. And and we see this with other platforms, not just Amazon. And I know I'm kind of going on a tangent here, you know, Meta, Facebook, uh, TikTok. These platforms, they have their own terms and conditions that goes theoretically above and beyond what FDA and FTC may want. It's just a single word, you know, just the language that you're putting on there or how you're speaking to it. And it's in the terms and conditions that you can't do that. And you're automatically banned or your post gets removed or your ad gets removed. And so it's just, you see this dynamic. Um, And I think the, this newer generation of supplements or the existing generation of supplements, if you want to succeed in Amazon, you have to factor some of these things in or be prepared with regards to a
0: plan B. Yeah. I think what you kind of mentioned around, like, you know, we were, feeling bad for the fda because they didn't have the resources to do what is being asked honestly of what amazon is being asked to do but we're kind of like holding even amazon to a higher regard because they are their this massive nation state in its own self that we're like we i think we've we've expected so much of amazon over our whole life at this point that we're like they should be able to handle this they should be able to create you know, AI machine learning, like be able to put risk profile ratings on things to just kind of pull things as they want. And, but they should also have humans. But then we're like, well, the FDA doesn't have enough of humans. So how does Amazon? (laughs) So it's like, it's such an interesting, you know, kind of conundrum That's that's going on because like, I do think there are a ton of biases that are created in this conversation. Like I've seen a lot of the chatter across the board and like, there are people that, you know, have hate towards amazon so then they go in this direction they have the hate towards the fda so they go in this direction and they kind of they they it's hard for them to consolidate like all of this um but i want to also think about this maybe a, a step further and think about again amazon you know this is great 13 billion dollars but it's it's still not all that big of a deal and, and amazon in itself does not really make a profit from retail i mean they make a lot of money from other things um, so at the end of the day if they shuddered, say they're, they're just like, we're, we're done selling supplements. We're, we're done. We're just like, it's not going to happen. I think a lot of people, there are some, I, I say old heads, like gray, gray hair, like people that just would love that. They would love to go back to the time where it was GNC and vitamin shop and vitamin world or whatever else was around at that time. They would love to do that. That, that would make them so happy to do these things. But like in today, in today's world, like Pandora's box is open. It's, it's done. So then instead of what they think would happen, my mind, you know, you, you have this idea of like when, when you turn the lights on and the cockroaches, where do where do they run? Where do they go? <laughs> uh, like, what would they do? Uh, because they're going to go to just direct to consumer. They're going to go to you know some of these, uh, you know, if it's like Chinese social commerce like platforms like TikTok or something like that, where maybe they have less of a you know a, a hurdle to get on to their TikTok shop or something like that. They're going to, you know, and then at that point you've decentralized this even more. So then do you go after Shopify? Do you go after like payment processors? Do you go out like, like you, I don't know. You would want Amazon to, to keep this going because at least then there's a little bit less decentralization, I think. And obviously people are still using, utilizing those, but still Amazon is looked at as the biggest place to make money. So people are driving a lot of their actions towards Amazon, which is helpful to the industry if we want to kind of clean it up, but we have to understand like how far do we push things and use that in a way that's helpful, but not too far that Amazon just goes, I'm done. I don't want to do this. Yeah, I'm with you. That's a
1: good, great point on the decentralizing. Um, Cause if it does spread out, and we saw with some brands that had NMN, right? They were using that. And as we know that that was agreed, that was deemed not uh, permissible in dietary supplements so you had a lot of brands just go D to C, sell on their own website. And you and I both know from a compliance standpoint, you have a lot more leeway. No one's looking over your shoulder at that point. You know, your visitors are trusting your your the content on your website as truth. Um, and anyone can type whatever they want on their website. So I'm, I'm with you. There's gotta be just enough friction, but not enough, yeah, not too much. Where Amazon's like, yeah, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm, I'm a huge proponent of Amazon. I, you know, I like what they're doing. I, you know, I shop on Amazon all the time, even buying supplements there. Um, but yeah, I, I hope it doesn't come to the point where it's too hands-on. You know, where you are changing the formula, where you could be uh, adding more testing costs to it, changing the supply chain uh, situation. I've seen that with regular retailers, national retailers, you know, where we talked about the onboarding process, they are looking at your formula, they look at your product name, and they'll have feedback for that. And it's like, well, the reason why our brand is successful is because we had that product name. This is why you want us. Uh, And there's that weird dynamic there. And uh, yeah, I hope Amazon's able to distinguish itself from that type of scenario, uh, but still have this uh, level of enforcement. I mean, right now, if I were to just, type in detox supplements, you're going to see detox everywhere in the supplements store. Whereas FDA has been pretty clear that a detox on its own is a you know disease or drug claim. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Really good point on that. And, and fingers crossed, <laughs> Amazon doesn't shut its doors on the supplement industry.
0: Yeah. And before I kind of let you go, I got kind of even take this one step further and think more long-term because um, I do think over time, less costly solutions. Like if, again, this is assuming that Amazon and then other retailers kind of fall in in line with adding extra compliance layers that need, um, you know, extra solutions and costs that eventually um, will come in there. Like there are people that see costs and they go, this is my opportunity. I, I can create some solution. Amazon obviously has in internal solutions that they've already started to create from their machine learning AI kind of algorithms, how they can spot things. A lot of other companies do the same thing, like you said, from a social media perspective or whatever. But then you also think about people that are going to come up with solutions like through contract manufacturing or ingredients or whatever. They're going to find solutions that incrementally kind of create a better cost environment for like this thing over time. So then that to me would eventually i guess innovation sparks activity again because then all of a sudden more competition probably is able to re-enter the market because it, the solutions are more widespread and, and cost effective for them and then you know you kind of start this cycle over again and like because in regulatory they are never going to be ahead of the industry uh they can't uh you know the industry always gets ahead of it they always create gray and then it's the regulations and the, and just the government to go, Oh shoot, like we, we need to, we need to kind of cover this up, which is, um, you know, you made a comment earlier and, um, and I know this is a very hot, like button I- issue. And this is around, you know, if it's kind of the, the pre-market approval type of a situation, pre- the registration process. And, and, and I'll just kind of be, and I think I've already been on the record to say this, like, I'm not, a, a proponent of that. Um, and it mostly comes down to that, I think, until we enforce to the level in which the current regulations are on the books, we, we can't truly understand what else is needed, because we haven't spent the time to understand Like if all of this is perfect, or at least uh, to the level in which we expect, how do you then just start layering on other things because you never actually even tested the original thesis to the point where it, where it makes sense? So I'm more of a I guess I want to say a hater. I like I I don't believe it's the appropriate next move. I believe it's there are there are steps that need to be covered before we move to that to that step. But again, I'm open to other people's opinions of it. I know other trade groups are are really big on it, um, and I'm not a part of any trade group. I'm just this guy that speaks to a camera every once in a while. So. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, you know, from a, from a product registration standpoint, I'll just say my piece. And I agree with you. I think there's one side and the other side, I think it comes down to what exactly are we talking about? What does this entail? If it's literally just entering some basic information into a database, that no one's going to look at, and technically, it's registered or the fairly minimal scrutiny, you know, it, it eliminates the intention of it, which is to screen out for bad players. Um, but then the, the flip side is if you overdo it, now the cost goes up from a government standpoint, an agency standpoint, plus it ruins or limits the number of brands that can be out in the market and all that stuff. There's so a part of me, if we look at Canada, if we look at you know what they've invested, the amount of money that they poured in on the product registration front, I think you know, if you look at that money that they spent in there, and if FDA were to follow that similar trajectory. I would put that money into enforcement because that's ultimately what it comes down to. The the requirements from FDA, the the GMP requirements, the labeling requirements, they actually hit on all the right notes. I think where a lot of people are frustrated is just like, hey, how come those that brand over there can say this but I can't? That's really what it comes down yeah. to. How come this brand can sell say this and 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 not have this ingredient but they say that they have this ingredient? How can they do it but I can't? just whatever billions of dollars that they want to put into this new product registration initiative pour that all into enforcement like that i feel like that would be a smart move so that's that there's that that piece going back to amazon you know from a longer term standpoint i I believe that what i'm seeing now with, with a lot of clients is that there's a shift in the mindset like right now as of today It's very reactive for a brand so like if amazon says hey your product is a sexual health product we need to see this test result a brand will literally just go send some bottles over to the lab and get it tested and fingers crossed it'll pass um and that's it's very reactive and i think what's happening now is there are other people that are coming in entrepreneurs are thinking how do i engineer for this better how can i engineer for amazon requirements or fda requirements up front whether that's supply chain ingredients, you know, manufacturing, how do I factor that in more? So we're, we're seeing that. And I think that's going to continue to grow Um, from what I'm hearing within Amazon. And I can't give any details. There's going to be new requirements coming Q2 of this year. So there's that element to it. And I think people don't want to be delisted. They're seeing that happen in real time. Now it's a huge impact to, to their, to their sales. And, you know, they're not Amazon, not huge. So, every day they're not selling, it's it's a big deal for them. And I think there's an element of, okay, well, what's our mitigation plan? And how do we enact that now? And I think that's going to be the new shift. Hopefully that will bring out better brands, at least from a foundational standpoint moving forward versus the get rich quick, you know, find a a manufacturer from Alibaba of all places, right, and then just buy some product there and sell it on Amazon, which we do see, unfortunately. Uh, But I think, you know, I'm hopeful for the long term. And, and and part of that comes down to this idea of how do you build the Amazon requirements by design into your product and, and making sure you're compliant from that standpoint.
0: But I just want to end with some quick final thoughts. Instead of the quote unquote poison pill scenario where Amazon decides to abandon the supplement categories, I think the more probable outcome is one that sees them actually working with regulatory agencies to craft a compliance plan for the supplement industry retail landscape. Why? Amazon is likely confident they can create a competitive advantage through advanced machine learning compliance mechanisms that will be more costly for other parties to duplicate. Moreover, we should never blame Amazon for whatever distorted version of the demise of the supplement industry you hold in your head or your heart. Amazon should not be held to a higher standard than the FDA. Similarly, Amazon should not be held to a higher standard than our own collective morals and ethics. If all supplement industry stakeholders involved performed not only what is required within the existing regulations, but to the highest level of what supplement consumers assume and deserve, we would be on a much better path towards creating an even better version of those good days old heads often talk about.